I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back. Welcome in to Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Radio Network. I am Mike Casazza, welcoming in Chris Anderson. Chris, the football team wins on a Saturday. The basketball team scrimmages. Try as they might, they couldn't keep us offline today, could they? <laughs> yeah, sorry for the uh, the delay on the podcast here. We uh, woke up usually Monday morning. You get things set up. We set the tweets for the day, send out the newsletter, post on the board, then hop in for the podcast. And whole network was down from like 5 or 6 a.m. until about 9 a.m. Eastern. So we're getting a little bit of a slow start this morning, but um, we're ready. And, we, and we'll and, and something else for those listening uh, feel free to ask a couple more questions in the thread because I know that was locked down and usually people get questions in last minute um, and I'll still answer them in written form on Tuesday morning. I thought I was going to jump in there and let you know that this isn't live and they can't hear us as we're talking, but I forgot that as we always do, we answer a whole bunch here and then you follow up with written answers to questions we don't get to. So good for you, Chris, doing business um, after the fact and before the fact too. I appreciate yeah. the, uh, the effort. Could you imagine us live? How terrible that'd be? The one and only episode that we did would probably be memorable. <laughs> I would say that's probably a good thing. We uh, might lose a couple sponsors. Who knows? Possibly. Or make gain a couple, too. Yeah. Um, speaking of memorable, text for game day is up. Text from game day. I think I know that. Text from game day is up. Uh, we'll look at some. I'm still trying to figure out a screen share thing, Chris. I know you have a really good question for me. You haven't told me what it is. We have a good question for me. I have one for you. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll ask the audience here, too. Screen share. Anything from that game worth examination? I feel like there's a lot, but also a little. There are some things people want to know about. I'm not sure how much we can like really flesh them out in, in that episode. But also, I'm not sure a whole lot was different either as I think about it, as I kind of like arrow through the game at, at high speed here too. We typically spend a lot of time on offense. Defense played better. There were some changes on that side of the ball too. Just curious, anything that has your... Mm, interest awareness well, right now i know something that somebody has asked me about and i was wondering if it was that different i'm looking it up and i guess it wasn't <clears throat> i was going to talk ask you about the the gap scheme and the zone scheme because i know some people ask us wait what's the difference um what's going on and i know at one point there was a big run and maybe it was the garrett green run it was the garrett green run um i believe you if you could if you could hear a guttural moan over twitter um i did from you when Green ran that, not because of Green's success, but because, oh, gap scheme, is what you screamed, I believe, either either on Twitter or on our message board. Um, and that caught my attention, but then I'm looking now at, at Pro Football Focus, and I see it was still 4-1 to one zone uh, scheme for West Virginia. So maybe it wasn't that different. Maybe there wasn't that much more gap scheme than usual. Um, but I know that's something that people have asked me about before. What's What's the difference? Why? Why would gap be better than zone? Why does West Virginia run zone instead of gap and, and so on? I think it was better than four to one ratio or, or maybe not better than four to one ratio, whatever the opposite is. I, I felt like I think it's like 28 to eight or something, isn't it? I got, I got 30 to eight. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the numbers have changed, I think, then, too, which means they updated it. 
I don't know if they define gap the same way I do, but like a, a zone is like you're not blocking a man, you're just blocking an area. Like you're responsible for, I don't want to confuse people, but you're responsible for your gap. Um, a zone, you, you kind of block a person who comes into your into your face mask. Um, gaps are basically when the linemen use their leverage. So that doesn't have to be pulling or anything like that. You could be trapping, pulling, countering, things like that. But sometimes it's blocking down. I thought they blocked down a ton to get inside, uh, especially on the goal line stuff too. So um, I don't know. I just thought more importantly, they were they were inside a lot more during the game. But I could look at some of that stuff. Um, I thought they did some pistol. Am I wrong there? I don't think you are. I, I was actually paying attention to that a lot with uh, TCU as well because – uh, one of the guys for TCU uh, that I follow he does a lot of stats stuff. Stats of War, I think, is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, his Twitter handle is. He does a lot of stati- uh, statistics stuff for the Big 12. And he tweeted out right at the start of the game that every time TCU goes pistol, they run the ball. Oh. I paid attention to it for a little while, and I think it was like seven of seven when I stopped when I stopped keeping track because I was like, oh wow, that's a pretty big tell uh, that you're going to run the ball every time you're in pistol. Um, but I do I do recall West Virginia going to miss a couple times too. Yeah. So I think a lot of their concern is that they can't hold up long enough, especially when they're doing like just power stuff where if you're playing inside or you're doing stuff in between the tackles, which I think is the way to go against TCU, you want to hit it quick. So you're just closer to the line of scrimmage, certainly under center, and then in the pistol than in shotgun, you know, you're you're quicker to that point you have to get to. So that might have been the scheme there that made sense. I just don't know how much what worked against TC was going to work against future opponents. Not because TC was so bad, but because they, they played an even front. And you're going to see some odd fronts and some hybrid fronts and pretty good run defenses in the final five games. So I think there's certainly reason to be relieved or maybe even excited about the running game. Spent two weeks on it, improved. That's good. You figure they should be able to do that. I wonder, can they just pack that into the bag and do the same thing against Iowa State? I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit, but maybe that's when I'll look at my... Um, in my uh, video here to see if I can find anything on. I'm intrigued by the defense because that's the one that I think played closer to its ceiling but could also play better. You and I caught a little bit of um, response from people who said that, wow, 29 points and pretty tepid performance by the offense. Certainly not as explosive or as opportunistic as it could be when you think about field goals instead of touchdowns in different parts of the field. And we said, actually, it was a pretty good game. 29 points on the road is pretty healthy. Pretty close to the ceiling. I would say a reasonable ceiling for this team. I don't think it's a ceiling for a college football team in 2021. But when you look at the first six games and maybe even the 22 before that, you could probably be content with what you saw against a bad defense. Don't get me wrong, but you're supposed to do certain things against a bad defense. And West Virginia did. Um, The point that people want to make on that one, though, is that it's not an optimistic endorsement of the offense. I feel like the opposite is true of the defense. I felt like they played better, but could still be way above the level they were at on Saturday. And then I say that knowing they really only gave up 10 points and and played pretty well and took the ball away a few times, but um, didn't get a ton of pressure on the passer, but made some plays. Didn't get a ton of TFLs, made some plays. Didn't stonewall the run, but didn't get beat by the run. Didn't give up a lot of huge pass plays. Um, but I feel like they left people thinking... Hey, that's a good sign, but boy, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Texas, pretty good offenses coming up. Got to feel pretty good that they can they can hang out on the defensive side of the ball and play better than they did. Yeah, I think this is this this is a good take. This is a good angle shoot you you got going here, Mike, because the 
what do you take from the offense of this? Because we all knew, we media, fans, team, players, West Virginia, TCU, uh, you, you know, if you go back and look at the Q&A I did with our TCU site, this is a horrible, horrible, terrible, no good TCU defense. So how much do you take of this? Is this just that, that West Virginia figured things out on offense or is TCU's defense is just bad? And again, we, we even, Hey, we even joked about it beforehand. This is a get right game for West Virginia, but they've had a couple get right games for certain things, breaking tackles, making plays on offense, and they didn't get right. So they did get right this time, which is a positive, but how much can you really take about that? uh, Take from that and apply it forward against teams that are going to be a lot tougher defensively. As you noted, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, there's just some tough, tough defenses coming up. And I don't know if West Virginia can just do the same thing and still get the same results against those types of teams like they did TCU. However, on the flip side, TCU's offense is really darn good too. One of the best in the country. And West Virginia's defense shut them down. I mean, what was it? One touchdown outside of the uh, kickoff return. So one touchdown on offense uh, against West Virginia's defense. So that is something very positive you can take from this game. Uh, figure some things out. You're still missing some guys, um, you know, and, and lost a couple guys mid-game, a couple key starters mid-game, and ended up just fine. So that's a very positive sign. And, and again, something that can translate moving forward just because I think TCU's offense is really good. Did you happen to catch Brown's answer to the question about Mesador and Fortune after the game? Uh, so that I hope we hope, but we won't know until, uh, you know, adrenaline dies down or something yeah. like that. So facials, not facials were not encouraging there. Sometimes, you know, and you can't say because you want to be double sure. And like sometimes, yeah, adrenaline has to go down. Sometimes swelling has to go down, too, before you right. can get in there and do any type of imaging, too. But um, sometimes a trainer will whisper in a coach's ear. Um, I, I don't I'm not I'm not hard on fortune. I think that he is a replaceable player in the secondary and that Charles Woods did a pretty good impression. The trouble is, where do you go from there? I'm not sure that they've made up their mind on Andrew Wilson Lamp, and I'm not sure he's a better option than Malachi Ruffin at this point, whether or not they're going to redshirt him. But those are the players you're talking about as your third and fourth corner if Nick Troy Fortune is out for any amount of time. If you're without Mesador, um, oh, <laughs> because that's your – I'm not sure he's your best defensive lineman because I've been watching 55 play for a couple weeks right now, and he looks like he's got his act together in a major way. But when you look around the way they do everything and what defense is due to the defensive, what offense is due to the West Virginia defensive line, Mesador might be your most valuable one. The fact that he can play, but he attracts so much attention that players can spin around him and play well. Um, And I don't know who their their D tackle would be. I would assume they would probably kick stills inside some more. Jordan Jefferson played a lot and I thought it was noticeable in some scenarios too where again not a guy who made a ton of plays but who made sure that nothing went through him around him and people could do their job on his side and then I let's talk about Eddie V is that okay yeah go for it six eight snaps but I felt like I noticed him almost every time and not big stats but man he was pushing through and, and kicking plays outside and there were a couple of times he just kind of like got into a spot and the play had to bounce out and if you do that against WVU's defense you're in trouble because they can outflank you to the sides they're going to have one of those edge players come in and make a play I thought he was good they'd have to up him a little bit too but uh, you know maybe two weeks ago you wouldn't feel good about losing Mesador two weeks later you still wouldn't but I think you have some answers there too 
they really got to get Jalen Thornton going. He's not even on the field last game, but the fact that, you know, you could put stills in the middle, you could play stills, Austin Jefferson, you could find some snaps at defensive men from Torres Simmons, maybe even Linnell Carr. Sterling can play a little bit. I'm assuming him and Russell would probably play. He only played one game. He could play three more, but I'm assuming they have to play him a little bit. They have some options there, but that's one that would really sting if they don't have a they don't have a good return from the doctor on Mesador. Yeah, and I, neither one of those guys came back into the game either. No, that's what I was about to say. I think uh, obviously Mesador's happened a little bit later, but um, I, what do you take from neither of them coming out back in the game? I, Fortunes was really early. I think he what did he only play like fifteen snaps, something like that. It's the second and, series, I believe, right? Yeah, so he was out for that. That was a quick a quick pull. Cause I don't even recall it being like, maybe he's coming back in. Uh, it was just, that's it. Um, so yeah, we'll probably find out Tuesday, maybe who knows, but, um, uh, neither a real positive sign right now. We'll see. Um, I have no more questions for you. I know you have one for me. More importantly, <laughs> subscribers jump you in line. Unless yes, you want to get right to your question. You want to pull rank? No, I don't. I, we'll, we'll let them have a couple. We'll, we'll let them have a couple before I jump in there. All right. Well, subscribers ask, we answer. We get to a bunch of them on the audio portion. Chris, you follow up with a written mailbag. Let's go. Um, let's start out with, well, well let's go to, I don't, I don't want to say, uh, trying to start anything here, but from Tampa Nears 1, Thoughts on Garrett Green ripping a 70-yard run and leading a scoring drive, then not seeing another snap. I will say collectively it was impressive because that's a spot where the offense of the team sometimes just stumbles and doesn't get out of its own way. So to go from a productive play to a five-yard penalty to a pop play like that was good. But where to go after that and went to a field goal drive, which is kind of what you're getting from Daigie anyways if you're being critical of the offense of the quarterback specifically or at large. Um, and the conversation between Brown and Green and the sideline, I really wish the camera would have stuck with that more and not popped in and out like it had because I couldn't notice that. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Chris, but the body language and the nonverbals or even the lip reading I tried to do, it just seemed like that Brown wasn't happy with, with Green there. And I'm not sure what happened because it wasn't a very long drive. Um, I'm not sure how many pass plays he had where he could have passed it and he could have kept it and then cycled through instead of running, something like that. But it seemed to me the head coach, again, wasn't thrilled. And I think about what Brown has continuously said about Green, which is, yes, he's good at this, and yes, he's good at this. The best part of our offense is our receiving core, and he does not get the ball to receivers. And when the drive goes belly up like that, I got to think that Brown or whomever called plays called a play for Green to throw the ball and put it into play to somebody, whether it's on the perimeter or – a screenplay or something like that, and it didn't happen. Uh, I believe he was over, or was he one for one as a passer? One for one for one yard. Yeah, so I don't think that's probably what was going um, up on the grease board before they sent him with his uh, practice instructions for the week. I think he was probably supposed to be passing more, and I had to go back and look at it to check it out. But I felt like there were some times maybe he, where he could have put it in play and didn't. Um, small sample though. I think he played six snaps, right? Yeah, that was it. It was just the one drive, and I think that yeah. was something you and I had talked about because I got a you know, Hey, big bye week is are the changes actually coming? And I got a message, um, from a capital S sources, like more of the same, uh, you know, nothing, not expecting anything different there. And actually this was kind of different, but in the wrong direction. Right. I mean, this is the fewest snaps he's played since week one. Yeah. 
Uh, like, I, I, yeah, I mean, there's, there's just not a lot of time out there. But I thought it was curious because the it, it was a tough situation because the offense had been moving the ball well on those first two drives. They scored both times, their their first two offensive drives, touchdown and a field goal. And uh, Jarrett Dagey had them moving down the field. He was throwing the ball well. He was completing passes. And then you bring in Green and you get a three-yard run, a false start, and you're like, oh, man, this is this is just not good. Then he breaks off the 67-yard run. You're like, oh, yeah, that's why you want Green out there because of plays like that. But outside of that, <laughs> outside of the tremendous 70-yard run, it was five plays, four technically. You know, I'm, I'm counting the penalty here for five. Five plays that gained them a total of four yards. And I think that's the problem you're running into here. This is like one yard, one yard, 67. One yard, one yard, one yard. Uh, I mean, you take it, you take the field goal, especially when you're starting inside your own 10 yard line on that drive. But I wonder exactly where he was. Cause I saw the same thing as you did the, the, uh, body language in the conversation. Don't know what was said. It didn't seem overly positive. It did make me think the, the things that Brown has said about green needing to find receivers, but when, uh, you know, you got the, he handed the ball off to Mathis on that first play. He's supposed to, uh, then the penalty, then a 67-yard run. I think, uh, you know, everybody's okay with that. Then maybe first down is a little two-yard run for Green. I'm, I'm trying to recall off the top of my head w- w- if that was his own read and he kept it to himself and didn't throw it anywhere. Then a handoff to Mathis. And then it was a very quick pop pass to Winston Wright that was a design play by by the looks of it. So was he so mad about that, maybe that first down play at the 27 that, you know, that was the end of the day. I'm not sure, but, um, you know, he was, it was a limited moment, but I think it was just a, a, the fact that, hey, I, what was it we said? It was like six of eight drives, West Virginia scored. Five of the seven with Daigie, you know, that they really tried to score and or were in scoring position, you know, four scores and a missed field goal or something like that. So I, I think the offense was fine, was good, actually, maybe even without Green. And that played more of a factor in him not playing anymore after that drive. You think he's mad at him for not scoring a touchdown? (laughs) Maybe. I will say this. um, I don't know what the philosophy is, but I know a lot of coaches, when you have a big play like that um, and you flip the field and it's a long gain, so 40, 50, 60, 67 yards, you're going to hurry to your next snap and you're going to hand it off because, one, it keeps the defense from subbing. They've had to pursue a significant part of the field um, and TC was moving. They were, they were, they were outflanked and they caught up to green. So they were moving. Don't sub go in. And I don't know if you have an automatic or if you have a set of plays or something like that. But for example, I, I've, I've seen Holgerson go over this. I talked to him about this, but like when Holgerson would hit big plays, they would run the ball in the next play, no matter what it would, it would be something in the middle because the defensive line is vulnerable. You probably haven't got lined up. You certainly haven't subbed and it's a good way to steal some yardage and maybe even get in the end zone. So, what I remember about that play, though, um, is that if I remember, they went five wide on that second down play, which is not the philosophy that I'm ex- describing there. But if you think about it, what do you expect there? You expect something quick, hurry up, green, five wide, run to the middle. It was a handoff to Mathis that I thought they were going to do. And it's like a jet sweep where Mathis was out on the right side and he comes right to left and 
the edges on the left side, on the field side, it's open, are crashing hard. And I think if he hands that ball to Mathis, Mathis scoots around that corner and he's up the field and heading toward the end zone. Green keeps it two yards, and I wonder if that's what he's upset about. That wasn't like an RPO play. That was a replay about whatever, you know, do I run it, do I give it to Mathis? And I think Mathis, the head of steam going around that corner, there's a chance he gets around there and gets wide, and then all of a sudden that big guy's running downhill with a defense that's gassed because it just had to flip the field pretty quickly. We're, we're playing, you know, body language doctor, armchair quarterback here, I get, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm suspicious here because it, it doesn't make sense why you would have a productive series like that. But then again, how productive was it? And if it came off the rails because of something like that, where Green just didn't read it right, or Green was told to hand it off and didn't, like, hey, we have this play, it's going to work. That would be a contributing factor, I think, to a quarterback not having the, the confidence of the head coach there. Yeah, I'm not, I, I just pulled the play while you were talking there. You're right. There's that that kind of jet sweep with Mathis coming over. And, man, that's a tough spot because TCU's crashing both edges, two on the left, one on the right. And why do and, you think? Because I think they know it. They know what's coming. And they know that's what they're going to do. And, and man, that's a, tough, that's a tough spot to put Green in. And I agree, like, that split second – and Mathis is wide open because both of the guys on the left both crash in hard, hard, hard. And if you hand that ball to Mathis, like you noted, he might score a touchdown because I think it's it's three blockers and two, three wide receivers blocking out left and two receivers out there. And Mathis is running free. So that, that's a tough spot right there. Um, but I'm with you. I mean, that's the only one I can think of that he'd be upset about. Looking at the next play, don't see much anything there. Gave it to Mathis, and then, yeah, third play was a a, a scripted pass to Winston Wright. So, tough spot for him there. And, and I just wonder if it was, hey, offense is moving with Daggy. Let's stick with it. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'll be frank. I didn't like putting Green into the game at that point. I was thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, don't do the third series thing just because it's the third series. Because you've got a nice thing going right now, it looks like. You snap the ball a bunch and cover the field, but it's only 10-7. Um, and, man, TCU kind of flipped the field with their very old, very good punter and pinned you down until, I think it was inside the 10, right? Yeah, and, started at the 8-yard eight, eight line. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, they wanted him to pass the ball. What if he throws a bad one? What if it's the, the quick three and out and you're punting and, and Sumter doesn't do his job and all of a sudden it's first and 10 TCU at the 40? You know, that'd be a bad thing, but, hey, what do I know? That's why I'm here. Um to answer the question to not call the plays. By the way, I was not calling plays on Saturday. <laughs> well, you you got to you got to be careful, Mike. We we talked about it on the board. We talked about it on the podcast. It's been a hot topic on the message board, so that makes it headline news elsewhere. So be careful what you say on here, because oh. next thing you know, it becomes fact and headline news elsewhere. Well, attribution a plenty, I'm sure, right? Yeah. Okay. Um. This is kind of a combo question from Crowtown Ear and Christian Shuck96, uh, both asking about the adjustments made during the bye week. I'll ask it from Crowtown's perspective. What were the biggest changes changes you guys think Brown made during the, his, quote, nothing is off the table, end quote, bye week? Well, to hear him tell the story, because I finally listened to the postgame audio, I did not listen before you and I spoke for the postgame pod, but I listened to his press conference. And they schemed up some kickoffs against Darius Davis. Still kicked it to him and paid the price. But after that, they didn't mess around. And the other six kickoffs produced eight total return yards, which is yeah. sufficient. Um, I just wonder why you kicked it to him in the first place. But whatever. Also, Davis had never returned kicks before last week. So, like, before the game before. 
West Virginia. He returned five against Texas for like 20 yards. He's very scary. He's a 4-3 guy, and he, he can do his job, as we saw. But curious at how much rehearsal went into that and then why you would kick it to him if you had all these tricks in your bag. But whatever. I do think some of the run game stuff was different and improved. Um, they must have spent a lot of time on their offensive line and footwork and fundamentals because they only played five. I think they only played five against Maryland, and then they've played subs in every other game. So start your season, you know who your guys are, you put your best ones out there and you go. And then you have two weeks and you rep things and you rehearse and you polish and you refine and you play five. I would assume they spent a lot of time in the offensive line. And then really ran the ball effectively inside, which is something they do better than running outside. They're going to have to run outside against some of these teams. But... You can do that with some of their jet sweeps and their hot potato passes. That's kind of like an outside play or a zone play. But under center, pistol, just downhill, quick to the point stuff on the run game was good. I couldn't tell you any differences in the past game. A lot of the formations and the roots look the same to me. A lot of the plays and the things that you think they're going to call in certain situations were, I don't want to say predictable, but you were on the scent if you've watched West Virginia. I don't necessarily think that's bad because I'm not sure how many times they can change their dots or stripes or whatever you want to call it. Defensively, I thought there was some encouraging stuff, though, because you know they, they got Woods in early and moved Matthews around a little bit. Um, Matthews kind of played Spear, but they also played Woods some. Uh, they got Woods on as a corner and then as, like, as an extra defensive back before Woods had to play a bunch of corner. And they played extra defensive linemen. Not a lot, but they played some extra defensive linemen. They, now, they had to because of Mesidor's injury later in the game, but... Uh, Carr, Simmons, Vesterin got in. That's three guys who typically don't play a whole lot. They got in. And they're not 20 snap a game guys. They're they're six, eight, ten snap a game guys. And when you have your top four, which I guess we can put Sean Martin in top five, Jordan Jefferson in. Man, Chris, now you're getting like eight people on the defensive line. And and really how much are your six, seven, and eight gonna get? Not a whole lot, but you really don't need to. So depth purposes, I thought that was good. And I thought their defense has played a lot more aggressive. They they eliminated the space that they oftentimes provide especially on third and medium in coverage. That was good. Their twisting and stunting, I think, was better, but that's not new. But maybe they just rerouted some stuff, or maybe they just went over it and, and made things a little bit tighter so they can get to the, the quarterback or the spot faster. That was good. I would not mistake this, though, for anything other than like the obvious. When the offense gets you 10 in the first quarter and 10 in the second quarter, the defense is going to play better. That's just inevitable. But when the defense sees that you do not have a going offense, it's going to give up 14, 17 points sometimes and just be deflated. But when the offense is there, the defense is going to be there. So I think a big change for the defense was that the offense was effective, especially after that opening kickoff return. The biggest thing I noticed was I, I, I did like the subs. Nothing was substantial. Nothing was like outrageous, as you noticed. Just a handful of snaps here and there just to give guys breathers. And, and people need that. You can't play a full game the whole time. And and now I'm going to talk about somebody who did play a full game that hasn't yet this year. Zero, zero rotation on the entire offensive line. Yeah. Every single starter played every single snap. That is the first time we've seen that all season long. I'm not sure what to take from that yet. I need I might need some more time to digest that and what that means. Was Parker Moore not available? Was Jordan White not available? I, I believe both of them were there. Both of them were dressed. Was Did guys just play well so they didn't get subbed out? Or or did they play well because they didn't get subbed out? I I don't know. That's not, it's, I, Maybe the coaches will figure that out. I don't get paid the big bucks to do that, but that's something that I noticed. Um, and the biggest change 
I guess for me is the secondary just attacked the heck out of the ball, mm-hmm. like really went after it. And is it was just like the coaches said, Hey, if you go after it and one out of every like three or four times you get beat for a huge play, we do not care. Do not care. You have to be more aggressive with the ball. And it, it just, it was an entirely different. And, and people are going to listen and say, Oh, you're just saying that because they got picks. No, even without the picks, they were going after it. They were going after the ball instead of waiting for the receiver to catch it, then hitting the receiver. It was, I don't care if I get a, a pass interference. I don't care if I get there a split second too early. I don't care if I even get there and he catches it and spins off me because I'm going after the ball and he gets a big game. They went after it and they got the best possible result seemingly every single time. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Not too many huge plays where they got beat, but um I thought that was a huge change in philosophy. I know they talked about it all all during the bye week. And, uh, I mean, to be honest, I was like, yeah, I believe it when I see it. And I saw it. So I believe it. Yeah. We mentioned that to the Baylor game. How many balls got batted in the air and nobody was around it? Right. That's a symptom of the problem there. And then what you're talking about is the cure. Just just get around the ball more. One reason that Matthews plays a whole bunch. Um, and, and I'd say this, too. The, the P.I. on Woods is – it cancels out. It's not a good play, but it's not a bad play because they want to see that aggression. And then the ball that he does pick off, never mind the ball that Porter picks off. That's just a good play. But the pass that Woods does pick off, that is a completion against West Virginia in the first six games because those players trailing or just saying like, all right, I'm not going to gamble on that. I'm going to make the tackle. Johnson's really good. If I if I miss, he's going to run away. Woods didn't care. He went for it. That was that was good, too. Um, I, I stand corrected, too. You're right. Milan played eight snaps against Maryland. I forgot that he played that game because – um, I knew he did. I don't know why, but yeah, that's the first time they played all five. So that's good too. Um, one of the change, Tony Mathis. Yeah. Good. Th- I mean, that's, that's the guy that they talked about. I think, um, I love how TV and teammates have told us that he had knee surgery and no one else has ever confirmed that. So yeah, did evidently you notice he that? had knee surgery. <laughs> he, he, t- he tweeted at me. I made a comment about, uh, he had been regulated to third string duty for the last month, but you know, was had three straight back to back to back big runs for first downs. Mm-hmm. And he quote tweeted me on the Twitter, a little social media, and he says, "Great to be back and healthy, or something like that." I was like, "Oh, well, that's news to everybody." Um, yeah, whatever. I won't go on that path, but yeah. Well, ancillary to that is this: Justin Johnson did not play. Uh huh. That's his second DMP, third DMP. I'm sorry, he's only played four games. What do you think? Just- Decisions to be made. I mean, I, me, I'm a, I'm a, I'm one of those guys. I'm a program builder kind of guy. I'm one of those guys that plays Madden and likes to do franchise mode and, and, and stock assets and build for the future. So I'd be trying to redshirt him, especially if Mathis is, if it's true that Mathis was always the better option, but he was banged up. And again, I, I don't know. It's hard for me. Who knows what to believe with some of this stuff now. But if it's true that Mathis was banged up and was always the better option and is 100% and is going to run like he did against TCU, then, yeah, I'd try to redshirt Johnson. I would. The trouble is that WVU's game notes saved four games for Johnson before the TCU game. He did not play against TCU. Um, But Pro Football Focus has him for five games now. So one of them is wrong, which this shouldn't be an issue, but it is. Um, also, I noticed there's no more of the missed assignment stats for the offensive lineman in WVU's game notes. 
Moving on. Where the hell did you see that, Mike? <laughs> Still a highlight. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Uh, next question comes from WVU491928. Our starting QB is currently the leading passer in the Big 12. How is that possible considering he plays behind an offensive line that has allowed by far the most sacks in the Big 12? along with the last-ranked rushing attack in the Big 12. Mike? Well, it means your total offense isn't very good, right? Right. Um, listen, he's been he's been okay. If you take away a couple of plays here and there, which you can't do, I understand, the body of work is not bad. Now, the body of work includes those plays. So, you know, the, the interception and the coverage against Maryland, the interception in the end zone um, against Maryland, and then some of the times where you're just like, oh, man, where he doesn't protect the ball, he doesn't get out of the pocket – but I'll tell you what, a lot of his mistakes are are negative plays in that they lose possession, which is bad. I understand those are significant things, but um, he does move the ball. And when you think about the offense for West Virginia, what's the, the overriding um, critique of it is that it doesn't score enough points. And I think the frustration is that you see the offense move frequently and do some things, but it can't sustain a drive or it can't finish a drive. So you might see two or three first downs before a punt or before a fourth down decision or something like that, or even a field goal. So you'll see a drive or, or the makings of a drive that comes off the rails, or you'll see a, a possession that gets in the red zone. They can't do something with it. And then what was the benefit of Green was that he he could play in the red zone. We haven't seen that lately. So I just wonder if it's as simple as Green being – you know, the option for the, the, the problem, which is that Daigie is not especially prolific in the red zone or even near the red zone. They had a couple of drives shrivel up inside the 30, but outside the red zone against TCU. So here's the guy maybe who can move the ball between the 20s or from one goal line in the 20 or something like that. And if you watched him against TCU, he was good. Like they And the, I thought that, like, it was pretty obvious that he wasn't forcing things. When you listen to him after the game, he said that he felt very clear. He, he'd studied and he anticipated things and he never got tricked and he felt calm. And he said, when I get in a rhythm like that, it's kind of hard to throw me off. And I think that's true because I went back and I've looked at some of our, our writings from other games last year when he was very good. And we talked about how he got on like these heaters during games where he would go like 14 of 16. Now, granted, 14 for 16 was for like 85 yards, <laughs> but still like that's moving the ball. And those are positive plays. And what did we talk about? They snapped the ball. We had 70 snaps, one sack three tfls and six incomplete passes so on 60 of the 70 snaps they move the ball forward on he would have dropped back 30 times and move the ball forward all but seven times right that's good mm -hmm. so those are positive plays I, I think he can do that the trouble is that like the running game hasn't been good enough 
they would be better in the red zone. They would score more points if they could run the ball. And they haven't scored enough points because they don't have a counter to that with their quarterback in the passing game, too. So it, in a way, it doesn't make sense because you would think having the best passer in the Big 12 of all conferences, you would have better offensive stats and a better win-loss record. But when you look at West Virginia at large, the shortcomings kind of do align with the supposed strength here. All right. Um, you There's a few things, and you started on one of them there. The the When he gets close to the end zone, when he gets in the red zone, when these throws really matter. And it, it kind of goes back to what we talked about in the postgame against TCU. It was just, wow, these are, you know, he was 14 of 17 at one point. And it was like, wow, those 14 and 17, that's really good. Except of those three misses, two of them were horrendous and probably should have been picked off. Mm-hmm. They yeah. weren't. And they just weren't in this game. In other games, they have been picked off. And then everybody just kind of forgets the other 14. Um, the red zone stats. Here is here is West Virginia as a whole. So this does include Green, although Green has only thrown the ball like a handful, five times, six times, like outside of the LIU game. So don't get too too crazy here with this, thinking this is, you know, Green influences this much. But inside their own 20, so, you know, backed up near your own end zone, 81% completion percentage, 21 to the 20 to the 40, 72 middle of the field, 65, 40 to the 20, 74 in the red zone, West Virginia's completion percentage for their, all their quarterbacks. So a couple of these passes will be green, but certainly not even close to half 42% completion percentage in the red zone. Yes. Things get tightened up. It's harder to throw down there, but that's when you find out who's, who's the great quarterbacks instead of the good quarterbacks. And you go to the stats for the, the Big 12 conference leaders. Deggie is tops in the league in yardage and yards per game. He also has the most attempts of anybody in the league. So it is a little bit of a, um, like, kind of just by by sheer numbers, you're going to be up there. Um, you look at his yards per attempt, he's sixth out of nine eligible quarterbacks. You look at his rating, which takes into account completion percentage and interceptions and all that, he's seventh out of nine eligible quarterbacks in the league. So I think he's he's not very efficient, according to this. He doesn't get the ball down the field as often uh, or, or as far, you know, when he's actually throwing the ball. So just saying, hey, he leads the league in passing, that, it, that, that, that doesn't tell the whole story. But the rest of that question is correct in that he might have the worst offensive line or close to it, not the worst offensive line. Kansas is pretty bad. But out of the 10 teams, you know, West Virginia's offensive line so far this season, eighth maybe, you know, seventh at best. Their run game, pretty horrible. Um, I mean, you say Letty Brown. You say, hey, look, Letty, Letty Brown's amazing. West Virginia is 10th by out of 10 teams and by a chunk of yardage per game. Mm-hmm. They are the only team that is not over 1,000 yards this season, every team has played at least seven games, a couple played eight. Every team is over 150 yards per game, over 1,000 yards for the year. West Virginia is 129 per game and 906 for the year. Lowest, uh, Second lowest average behind Oklahoma State, who just doesn't run as much. So it's, or, or runs more, excuse me. Um, it's, so yeah, Diggy's not being dealt a full deck here. He has some weird numbers too. Uh, sacked 15 times this year. Nine times when he wasn't blitzed. So that's just like organic pressure getting to him. Is that holding on to the ball too much? Whatever. But 
in the red zone, teams are going to heat you up. Um, the space goes away faster because you don't have as much. And also teams are going to make you think and go and they blitz because they can. They're working with, um, I was say they're working with a net, but there's not a whole lot behind them, which actually is the net. Like you don't have a lot of space behind you. So really receivers can't get past defensive backs. You can't throw it over top of people. So you do get blitz more. His blitz numbers are, are just kind of very mediocre. Um, 28 out of 53, which is 52.8%. Um, four touchdowns, two picks, thrown five passes away, um, had three balls batted down. If you blitz him, you're going to have a chance to to make him do something that he does not want to do. Only scrambled once. So 60 dropbacks on blitzes, one scramble, thrown away five passes. He's thrown away 14 passes this year, Chris. That's one of the highest numbers in the country, like top three or four, I'm sure. So uh, teams know the book on him. And again, when you get in the red zone, teams are going to blitz you. They're going to make you work faster, think harder. All right. So this is going to this question leads me to my question. Um, I'll, get, I'll get to the juicy, obvious podcast bait question in a minute. But <clears throat> because of this, I wanted to, to run a little alternate question at you. Um, because, uh, hey, I, one, let me start off with I think Daggy's been playing pretty darn well for what he's been given. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've said it the last few games, and I do believe that. And I also believe that Garrett Green should have been installed as a starter a few weeks ago. My reasoning being, and a lot of people's reasoning being, is that it's more about fit than true performance because the struggles for West Virginia's offense have been the offensive line, have been the run game. And if you put in somebody like Green, that increases, that that kind of negates the offensive line problem. It has, we've already seen, it not only helps the run game with, <clears throat> excuse me, with his feet, but also how it opens up gaps for other for the running back. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to bench a quote unquote better quarterback to put in green? And should Neil Brown care if it's quote fair? Let's start there. I mean, we probably have the answer, at least internally at WB, right? Yeah. Um I think they're still playing for something, Chris. Like, I, I know a lot of people are out and don't really buy the likelihood of them winning three more in their next five games to become bowl eligible. The players and the coaches 100% disagree. They think they're going 6-0, and right? They just do. And until that's no longer on the table, I don't think you do it. And is that fair? Well, now who is that fair to? I think if you're talking about guys like Josh Chandler-Sumito, and Letty Brown and people who really want to be successful or at least get the most out of their experience on the way out, you got to go with what's best. And you would think that the starting quarterback for the past 13 and seven, 20 games mm-hmm. would be the best option. Now, is it fair to play handcuffed? Because I think that you could say that the offense is handcuffed sometimes with Daggy because it just can't get out of the defense's designs. If you do blitz in the red zone, you're probably going to succeed against West Virginia's offense. If you blitz Garrett Green, is it a different story? Maybe. Um, we don't know, though, because he hasn't taken a ton of red zone snaps. Like We kind of thought that would be the purpose for him, and it hasn't really happened. I think that maybe they don't trust Green to trigger it in the red zone, which could be a valid concern. Um, that drive got to the red zone last game and just didn't work out. So, I understand that. So the concept of fair is pretty flexible here. Um, is it fair to Daigie? I think he's played okay. Um, I don't think he's played to like all conference caliber level, but I think that 
relative to what you could fairly ask him to do, it's been okay. I think he could be better even in that regard, like relative to fair expectations. I think he could be better than how he has performed relative to the fair expectations. Certainly he could be more prolific passer, more touchdowns, higher percentage, greater yards per attempt. I'm not sure that's in his bag. But has he lost the job? That's one thing. I don't know. Like there were times where I thought he did. I really think if they blow that Virginia Tech game, there's probably a change after the Baylor game. But bowl game's on the table, and you got to give that guy a chance because it's fair to him and it's fair to his surrounding cast. Is it fair to fans? Probably not. That's not high in the calculus for WVU, though. All right, so now we'll get to the question that I was I had planned on asking. That was obvious podcast bait for you that I have not told you I was going to ask, mm. but got me thinking. And and it was funny that that uh, you know this question was asked about his his supporting cast because I'm talking about one of the best supporting casts a quarterback has ever had at West Virginia. If you swap Skylar Howard from 2016 onto this team and put Jarrett Dagey onto that 2016 team, one does the 2016 team win same more or fewer games. That was a team that went 10 and two in the regular season. Two, does Skylar Howard lead this year's team to a better record than it was? Start with part one. Deggy on 2016 West Virginia. Well, let's think here. You're starting. You want me to give you a start, the offensive line? Well, this say, this the is the difference. Tanky, could Bosch, Yadney, Matteo. Oh, Orlowski, yeah. Bosch, and McKivitz. You're talking three NFLers, four NFLers, if you count Bosch, in four 16? NFLers. In 16? Yeah. Yadney yeah, didn't play that year. He got hurt in the first game. Against oh, was that? oh, yeah, and then Lazard went over. I'm looking at the preseason depth chart, and I got uh, Yadney as the starting left tackle. Panky um, was right, or left. McKivitz was right, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Bosch. Orlowski. Tony Matteo, the other guard? Matty was that the guard, or did, was it? Did the, so this wasn't the year that they sw- swapped Lazard and over and put McKivitz in? Because I thought Mc- part, I don't know. <laughs> I'm yeah. not prepared for this question. I, uh, maybe, maybe I should have been more prepared for it. But I'm anyway, pretty sure that Matty and Bosch were the were the guards that year. Okay, so that, we're talking a, a stacked, regardless of good. what it was, we're talking a stacked offensive line and receivers that include, um, you know, Shelton Gib- Shelton Gibson, Dakeel Shorts, Karan White, Gary Jennings. Marcus Sims, running backs of Crawford, Shell, McCoy, Petaway, all at the same time, all playing. Does that team with Jared Dagey win more, less, or the same? More, fewer, or the same games? That's eh, Howard. I, I would give Howard the nod. You would. Okay. You I have Skylar Howard I, on this year's team. Is West Virginia better than three and four right now? If Skylar Howard is your quarterback, 2016 Skylar Howard. So we are talking a seasoned veteran Skylar yes, Howard. I like Skylar Howard more. That's my answer. Okay. Because, because again, that he had the running threat. It wasn't even escapability. You could run the ball in traditional senses with him. Like you could run power plays. You could run zone plays. Um, that that was fine. Not the most, oh boy, not the most accurate underneath thrower. But loved to put the ball in the air. Had a really good connection with with some of his players on vertical passes. Um, I have no problem making that call. I think he would be my guy for sure. Just because, I mean, definitely in 2016, because I think that was a good offense for him. There are guys who could stretch the field. And there are guys who could make plays. Um, that, man, that was a good receiver, Corey. Thanks. 
but I kind of like that receiving core better than this receiving core. And I'm not, I wasn't the biggest fan of this receiving core, but like they've kind of grown on me this year. But I would take that one for sure. And I think Howard's better there. I think that that offense was really lined up for him to be good. Um, and then again, I think just because where this team is sometimes hamstrung, he's better. Uh, by the way, I have the PFF numbers up. 20 plus passes for Howard that year. You want to guess how many he threw? Uh, oh, I remember this. I was looking this up once upon a time about something about deep balls. He threw a lot of deep balls, a high percentage. 73. Yeah. <laughs> it's like five a game, six a game. Yeah. Uh, 13, 14 touchdowns, two picks. Um, it was pretty good. So let's see his numbers there that year. Um, 28 to 73, 14 touchdowns, two picks, 14.9 yards per attempt. Uh, one drop. So yeah, he was pretty explosive that year. Uh, I would, I would take him for sure. My, my working theory and why I wanted to ask this question was because I was thinking, boy, if you put Daigie in that offense with Holgerson and, and, you know, Holgerson adapted to Howard's abilities and, and instituted a, a little bit different of an offense than what he had before. And I think, but it, so I think he could have, you know, reverted back to more of what would fit Daigie. And if you put Daigie in that offense with those guys, it's hard for me to think they'd win more, but I still think they'd win 10 just because I think they lost at Oklahoma State and then against Oklahoma. And it wasn't even, I think maybe the Oklahoma State game was a little bit close, but the Oklahoma was kind of a blowout. So are they going to win 11? Are they going to win one of those two? I, I don't think so, but I, say, I still think they go 10. But I thought that'd be a great fit. And it would showcase that Daigie's still a pretty darn good quarterback. I think he is of equal talent to Skylar Howard, just not in the best position or the best scheme for him right now. But if you put Skylar Howard on this team, I think they might be like six and one, like five and two at work. Like I think this offense and, and with Skylar Howard back there, and there's going to be people who, you know, have seen some of the things I've said and, and well, I mean, I'm not of anti Skylar Howard, but don't get me wrong, but people might be surprised to hear me say that. I think this team could be like five and two or six and one if Skylar Howard on it. And again, that's just a lot to do with his skill set, his skill set. I think Daigie Howard are about equal in total talent, but Howard's skill set would, would really fit in well with this team and, and they would be better off. Just got me thinking. Skylar Howard, career, 30 to one touchdown to interception ratio in the red zone. That's no joke. Like that's and again, Daigie has one interception in the red zone it was against Maryland, but the touchdowns just aren't the same. Um, and then also ran for twelve touchdowns in his career in the red zone. Like he was a good football player. Like yeah, wasn't he wasn't gifted and blessed with the most tools? Certainly height and 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 I would even say like arm strength. He could just get some air on the ball and heave it because he had protection. And he could do it, but uh, he was he was good and you could design things around him because he his legs kept you honest. And again, you're talking. What I say, 42 touchdowns in the red zone in his three years. So two two years and what two games? I think he played in 14. Yeah. Um, that's that's prolific stuff, and that's not a that's not like a thing against Daigie. Daigie is what he is, and they work with it. But that's to Howard's credit. I think he was a better player than people remember, especially you look at some of the things. And again, when when you blitzed him, he was gonna hurt you. He could do it. Um, his 2016 numbers against the blitz: 10 touchdowns, one interception, 11 scrambles. Um, so again, he would, he would do things to you. Average depth on target on a blitz was 11.2 yards. So he could get the ball in the air on blitzes too. Um, I, he's, he's a good, just good. I mean, he could, 
he could work around some of the problems that this offense has, I think. I think Daigie could back in in 16 because the cast w- would have been better. Like, he would have benefited from a really good offensive line. That was a really good offensive line. So that's an interesting question. Like, a quarterback swap would be a, a pretty curious pre- prescription here. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go big picture maybe for what could possibly be our last question here because, again, we we had limited questions because of the site being down. But um, keep asking them. I'll add them on. Put them in on Tuesday morning. Um, this one from Cole, 1867. Would you and Mike care to take a stab at the final finishing order of the Big 12 and the two teams that will make the conference championship game? So this is really interesting as of this morning. Oklahoma's 5-0, and Baylor, Oklahoma State, Iowa State are 3-1. and Oklahoma has to play Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State. Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and Baylor have all counted wins against one another. That's wild to me. Like, this is really going to come down to a horse race at the end. Um, I don't think Oklahoma's going through perfect. I would not be surprised they took two losses here either. Like, I that team looks really curious to me. The only thing is that they play one more game and they have an open week. So they will have a chance to rest. And they started the season, they will start the season with nine straight games. So yeah. if, if they're taking on water right now, hey, there might be an explanation for that. So who do they play this week? Texas Tech. They end with those three teams, Baylor, yeah. Iowa State, Oklahoma State. Those are so the final three games. So they get a break before that. That's brutal. Um, I, I, I've liked Baylor every time I've seen them, and I've seen them a bunch this year. I just wonder if they can if they can navigate this. Like they're gonna have to play um, Oklahoma. I believe it's at Oklahoma too, right? Shoot, I should have the schedule. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. It's at Baylor. It's at Baylor. Okay. It's, so Oklahoma goes at Baylor, home against Iowa State, and at Oklahoma State. Interesting. Um, I uh, I would never really believed in Oklahoma State. They've yet wow. to lose the game they shouldn't lose. Wow. So I just, I don't know. I don't have a blind spot to them or what. I just, the, the, the metrics and all the things don't really work for them. And they, they're kind of bearing out a little bit. So I'm going to cross them off. And I just, man, here we go again with Iowa State. Like, they looked awful at the end of the season, but they've been very good. Purdy's been on a roll. They remembered the Brees Hall is very good. Their offensive line's healthy. Their defense is back to normal. I I would put them ahead of Baylor here. I think that's going to be... It's going to be a heck of a race. Don't get me wrong there. But, like, I think that I just like what I see from Iowa State all of a sudden. And, and you no know, people might, like, wrinkle their face about that a little bit. But since that loss, they've they've really kind of handled their business. And that's a good win for them against Oklahoma State. I might be down in Oklahoma State, but that's a pretty even matchup with strength versus strength. And at home, they did it. But, I mean, they've got a chance to, to put, like, some numbers up here and get in a roll. And they have the Oklahoma game. It's at Oklahoma. That'll be tricky. But... They've they played Oklahoma better than anybody through the years. And if you watch Oklahoma, you can't tell me that's right. That like that's a perfect situation there. If I think they're gonna lose one, maybe two, then that would be the most likely of the remaining game. So give me Oklahoma and Iowa State. I'm going to go slightly different. I do think Oklahoma holds on. I do think they lose one, maybe two, but they're gonna get a little tiebreaker action in here. Cause that that is they need that bye week. It's tough to have those last three games all in a row, but to get the bye week right beforehand is is great for them. Um I look at Oklahoma State's remaining schedule. Like, they do play Oklahoma to end the year. But they have already played 
would you say like four of the top five teams in the league? The four of the top six, I guess, counting themselves, they're in there. So four of the top six already. Mm-hmm. You know, Oklahoma's the only one maybe in the top six, depending on how you feel about West Virginia. Like that's so they got Kansas at WVU, home TCU at Texas Tech, and then Oklahoma. They could be. Like, I think they're going to be favored in every one of those games by at least a touchdown or close to it. They could be 10 and one and going to play Oklahoma. And that game, I mean, maybe it has big picture ramifications, but as far as the conference championship game is concerned, means nothing to either of those teams. Like, both of those teams could already be in, even with a loss, and they're just going to have a rematch, you know, a week later. So, that would be my pick because I just I just think the schedule works out. I think Iowa State is playing better, and I don't know if I believe in Oklahoma State either. I, I just can't I just can't seem to get anything going. I question some of their defensive stats. Um, no, I question Iowa State's defensive stats just because of the teams they played. Yeah, but Oklahoma State, um, man, that's that's a much better, much more favorable schedule for them than I think Iowa State right now. My question for you. Yep. Is Matt Wells still employed this time next week? Matt Wells, not from WV Marketing. Hi, Matt. I'm not coming <laughs> for your job, I promise. We like you. We think you're doing good work. Matt Wells at Texas Tech. They um, go to Oklahoma. They're off next week. No, I don't think so. Yeah. I think he might be done. It's looking bad. I mean, because uh, he, was, he was on the hot seat before the season even started. Like, yeah, he was yeah. in the hot seat last year. I legitimately think they wanted to fire him last year and just thought like it would be mean. It'd be really hard to get a coach. Cause I think a lot of, I think a lot of people in the industry have, have kind of opened up about this too, is that people were reluctant to leave jobs or to even like can people because the year was so strange last year. And like, maybe you can get a guy from a mid major or a coordinator from a team, but he's like, eh, I'm kind of partial to this job. I didn't really get a full season last year, by the way, I don't want to work at Texas tech. Maybe something better is working is lurking for me out there, but I, I really think they could have, would have, should have fired him last year. And if you look at since the, the game against WVU, they went by three, okay? Maybe would have, could have, should have lost that. Lost by 21 to TCU, beat Kansas, and then lost by one at Kansas State. It's not bad. I just think that they're fed up and worn out on them. And if they get pummeled by Oklahoma off week, and then they go Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Baylor to end. <laughs> yeah, hey, five. They started five and two. Yeah, and I don't think they're going to make a bowl game. They seriously might not. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, it, that happens like to some teams all like you know every year. I feel like there's one team that does that. Texas Tech is that team this year. Mm-hmm. They went five like, and two, and the fact they lost to Kansas State. I mean, they're going to be underdogs by a touchdown or more in all of their remaining games now. Yeah, and that's that's a weird job now too, man. Because you could you could point at some lineage and, and say, man, Texas Tech catapult, you know do this right and you can go somewhere or hey by the way do this right and you could be here for a long long time but who's the 7-0 team in the nfl right now cardinals huh? who's their coach kingsbury who did texas tech fire right right yeah so that's weird to me and again like if they lose to oklahoma listen their their schedule is incredible oklahoma on the road iowa state at home oklahoma state at home baylor on the road that's four ranked teams in a row. There's no way that guy's navigating this too. And if they lose this week, I don't think the AD or the president or the boosters are going to say, let's give this guy a chance to win three. No, let's get this thing going. And because it'd be one thing to say on November 28th, yeah, you know, we've lost five in a row before we're against ranked teams instead of saying, yeah, we lost three in a row, but man, we've been out searching for a coach for three weeks now. 
Um, we got some ideas. The momentum you can get going now before the, the boulder starts coming down the hill back at you, that might be significant. I, unless they win, but if they lose, I, I wonder if we're not sitting here next week going, well, one job in the Big 12 Open. By the way, no, I'm not going to do it. Never mind. <laughs> when When does the Neil Brown and Texas Tech rumor start? How quickly would that happen? Oh, God. <laughs> Somebody would do it, right? Of course. I think we know who, too. Listening right now. Because, like, the last time there was the Texas Tech opening, the West Virginia coach was involved, too, right? Yep. So, who knows? Why not? Why not just, like, swing, take a swing at the pinata here and see what happens? Neil Brown is not going to Texas Tech. I'll say that right now. But watch his name pop up. Oh, boy. I, I'm i not going to comment on that. I'm going to let you end it on that. I'm going to let you end it right there. Well, no. I want to ask you this, this question. And we're going long. Oh. I'm sorry. But I think it's a good one. It's from JAL1234. Um, what if question first snap of the Iowa state game day gets injured and can't play green the rest of the game mm. or green and Crowder split time or something else. I love what ifs like this and we can even make this relevant because Iowa state in Neil Brown's first season is when Austin Kendall got hurt and because they could not yet play Daigie and keep his red shirt. They were not going to play Daigie ice him and then play him again. There was always a plan to play him in the final four games. They played Jack Allison. So there's some past prologue here that makes some sense. But really, what if? Would you let Green go the rest of the game? Would you go Green Crowder? Would you go something else, which maybe is more Crowder than Green? Maybe Crowder just takes the Daggy snaps. This is impossible for me to predict, but I would think that they would lean on Green as much as they can because I don't know how many snaps Crowder gets during a week. You can't put him in the Daggy position. Maybe he can come in and do some things. But I think if this is a normal game after you lose Daggy, Green would play a ton. I've been reliably told that Crowder gets essentially no snaps outside of the developmental team from the Monday night stuff. So I, I, I'm with you. I think it would be all green. I don't, I don't even think, you know, I think they just basically throw out, I don't want to say throw out the diggy stuff because green does practice the diggy stuff as well, but you're going to see a lot of green. You're going to see a lot of runs. You're going to see a lot of, uh, upset body language because Green went on a two-yard run when a receiver was open uh, on the sideline. Um, but I think that's the move. I think that's what happens, and 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 they ride it out to the end. Um, God, you made me forget about that. The, the Jack Allison game. I, it was tied at halftime, and West Virginia was getting the ball. Yeah, um, I talked to Brown like in the off season that year. I forget what it was for, but like I saw it maybe at a basketball game or something. We were talking, and and I know he said this in print maybe after that game, but like that was a week that they put a ton of stuff in for Kendall and, and hardly used Allison because they had a plan they really wanted to work. Um, and it was just like the one time they deviated from the plan, which is whatever, like 85, 15 or something like that. But I'm pretty sure that we were talking. He said that like it was just the dumbest luck. Like the one time that you kind of veer a little bit off course is when your quarterback gets hurt and you got to give the ball to the guy who got fewer reps than normal during a week. Can you imagine that? That's an uncomfortable spot for a head coach. Yeah, absolutely. I wait, was that wait, wait was that before or after because that was that was even after the game where Allison came in through one pass it got picked and immediately got benched right what, was that Missouri when Missouri. he did that <laughs> yeah so that yeah. was after that so this is already an uncomfortable situation maybe we have a thing with Neil Brown and backup quarterbacks <laughs> can't happen can't do it can't throw an out into the into what, like an out into the field or something like that yeah it was an out pattern on a with the underneath underneath zone coverage it, it was just an absolute no throw never in a million years kind of thing 
Yeah, that's a deal breaker, and he he was not he was not even like masking his disappointment in that play right now too. Yeah. So. Hey, fun hypothetical JAL. That's it, because now we remember two years ago what happened. It's not off the table, and if something does happen, that I have a plan B. And I don't know. Do you ever take away snaps on your backup quarterback because you got a feeling you got something? Um, again, sometimes you deviate, and all of a sudden the world comes back and gets you when you least expect it. So, hey, good question. Glad you threw that one in there. Yep. Uh, I have no more. You have no more. Nope. All right, we're gonna try. I promise to get some basketball scrimmage details. You can find some videos out there. You can see that players had highlights. I have no idea why they're so uh, so uneven in how they treat these scrimmages. You can post highlights and everything, but you can't talk about it. Can't say who you played or where you played or who won or who played well, but. We'll try to dig in and get some stuff there. Text from game day is up. Uh, all your normal Sunday coverage from three things to plays to change the game to power ranking snap judgment. That's already there for you. Go back and read it until you catch up while we produce more content and get caught up from our outage this morning. Anything coming okay. from you? It, no, I, I, no comment on that. It, like I said, Monday morning, one of our busiest times. We got so much going on on the site, posting things. I had some recruiting news I wanted to get up early uh, before it was reported elsewhere. Um, just And just absolute no-go. Couldn't even get the site to open. So we apologize for that. But all those stories are up now. Uh, like you said, podcast coming up. And then we'll have Neil Brown tomorrow. Different things throughout the week. Uh, recruiting starting to pick back up. So you'll see more of that moving forward as well. Until then, I'm Mike Kazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you later.